Hi everyone and welcome to Training for Life Redeemed. I am your host Dan and I'm with my dad David Jackson. We're continuing to look through the book of Matthew. We are going to finish off the Sermon on the Mount today. We're looking at chapter 7 of Matthew. Dad, so far in the Sermon on the Mount we've had the whole blessings, we've had, you've heard that it was said, and then he's talked about you know, making sure that the good things you do and you're, you know, you're keeping your eye on God, seeking his kingdom first, really, and not seeking the approval of others, because that is generally going to lead you towards a life of anxiety and struggle, trying to constantly get other people's approval and worrying about food and life, etc. He then starts to talk about this idea of not judging others to start <laughs> chapter 7. Can you explain why why is this here in in this sermon yeah. and what do we pull from it? Yeah, I think that verse, chapter 7, verse 1, is probably the most misused, one of the most misused verses in the Bible. Um, everybody who does the wrong thing, when you call them up, says, don't judge me, mm. you know, judge not that you be not judged. They quote that verse and you go, well, actually, mate, um, let's go and do a word study on judging <laughs> and we'll find that God commands his people to exercise right judgment. Yeah. Um, but we exercise that right judgment within the body of Christ. We don't run around exercising that kind of judgment on those who are outside the church. Um, those who are outside of the church, we go and explain to them how they can be forgiven. <laughs> We're not out there to condemn. We're out there to call people to repentance. Yeah. But within the church, we will hold each other accountable. Uh, and Jesus commands us to do so. He's going to tell us later on how to do that. But the reason this is here is we've just come through this passage that talks about seeking the approval of others. And, of course, if you live in a world where you seek the approval of others, you're in a culture where you're constantly being judged. And judging others. And judging <laughs> others. It's a competition, you know, and the way you win the competition is by putting everybody else down so that somehow you get your head above them. Um, and you've only got to look at the way people do that to know it doesn't work. Um, when you push other people's down, people down, you go with them. Um, so this is a destructive lifestyle. And, and Jesus is going to go on here and he's going to say, if you choose to get involved in that competition where you put other people down and other people are putting, you know, you're seeking their approval, you're going to throw away the whole kingdom of God. Um, and so you, you come down to this little verse, um, and I'm going to get you to do some talking about this one. Um, so don't give what's holy to dogs. Don't throw your pearls before swine. We, when we interpret that verse... So often misdone. Yeah. When, when people read that verse, um, that's almost saying join the competition, the way we read it. You know, I, I'm so wise... I'm so clever, I'm not going to bother teaching you my wisdom because you're so dumb and you're so low. Or you're so oppositional to the gospel. So often people take it as the the pearl is the gospel. Yep. And I'm not going to present the gospel before you because you clearly rejected it already and so we'll just yeah, move but, on to the next and person. And you're just obnoxious and I, I just don't like you. <laughs> where, where does Jesus have that anywhere else in his teaching yeah. to teach to, to stop teaching someone the gospel yes yeah. if, if they drive you out of town by all means leave shake the dust off but they've got to make that call to tell you to go away mm. but in this case i it just 
it reminds me, <laughs> how many times have you heard a teacher walk out of a class <laughs> saying, you know, I've been throwing my pearls before. <laughs> it's That's not how he wants you to talk about people. No. So tell me, you knowing that you've done uh, a lot of work on that verse. <laughs> so my main thing is that you know, when you're looking at interpreting any passage in the Bible is to look at the context that it's in. Yeah. And I think this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and a pearl is essentially a treasure. Yes. And this whole through the whole way through chapter six, Jesus has been saying, you know, don't throw out your treasures, basically. He's saying, you know, if you do your prayers before everyone, your reward you've gotten and you lose your treasures in heaven. Yeah. If you are giving all your money away in public, you're getting your reward from everyone else, therefore you lose your reward in heaven. And you know, that reward is the kingdom of God. Like it's this is living with God in his presence. It's the pearl of great and price. He's, I see Jesus here, what he's saying is don't take the kingdom of God that you're seeking and that you're meant to be keeping your eyes on and chuck it out. Yeah. Like you, it's, this is an idea of just you're taking the kingdom and you're chucking it before uh, you know, pigs and dogs are words for Gentiles generally for Jews. So you're chucking it out to those who are not Christian. You're seeking a worldly process instead of seeking the kingdom of God, which he said, you know, five verses earlier. Yeah, you're, sw- you're swapping the kingdom of God, God's approval, where, where you, your focus is on the king, hmm. you're going out into the Gentile world <laughs> and looking for what they want to sell you as the great price, pearl of great price. And Jesus says just a few chapters over, the, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. You sell everything to get that pearl. Hmm. Don't throw that out. Um, and you throw that out when you get into this whole dynamic of the, the world's approval versus God's approval. Um, and that that is just so, so destructive. Yeah. Uh, and then he finishes that with this, what we call the golden rule, which is about, you know, stop looking at what you can get out of people and start looking at what people need. And what people need is the kingdom of God. And they need all the things that God has showered on you as a disciple of Jesus. Mm. So stop sitting there thinking, what more can I get for me? And start looking at them and and delivering to them uh, the blessings that you have been so hungry to get that God has given you. Yeah. And like even the, the prayer bit there, like if you're seeking the approval of people, you're losing treasure, but this is talking about, you know, asking will be given to you. You know, it's like yeah. if you're seeking the kingdom then you're going to get a much greater treasure than what you can get down here. Yeah. you Far and away. And you, you ask the world for their approval. You ask the world for, you know, give me, give me, give me your money and everything else. Um, and you end up with a pile of rubbish. It, it, it's rotting garbage. Mm. You go to your heavenly father and he will deal with what you actually need. He will, he's got a plan for your life. He'll open the doors. Um, he'll move mountains uh, th- this is God who's got it all in under control. And that crowd out there whose approval you think you need to get the doors open, they can't deliver. Um, they're going to lead you into a garbage heap. So, you know, turn, get it right. So then have the wider and narrow gate talking about, uh-huh. you know, it's hard to get to the kingdom, right? yep. <laughs> to stay that path your whole life. It's easy to go the other way. Uh, and then it leads into 
this idea of a tree and a fruit and how you can, you know, it's, Talk about misquoting this. Do not judge, and then we have the you, know, you, you can judge a tree by what kind of fruit it produces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, can you give us a bit more of an idea of how we use that now, and how Jesus was using it to help his disciples? Yeah, Jesus. God describes. So you start off with the Garden of Eden as God's plantation with His people in the Garden of Eden, and God, you know, wandering around in the garden visiting with His people. Then they leave the garden. They end up in a wilderness, in a desert. You've seen Jesus in the Judean desert with the devil. Um, So we've destroyed the environment that God gave us. And he describes Israel as the plantation of God. He's going to plant his people back in his world and regrow paradise um, around them. So that great commission that he gave Adam that original commission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it to the glory of God, That that's now going to happen again in Jesus. Yep. So let's go and see. If you take the kingdom of God person living out the kingdom of God instructions, what sort of garden do you grow? Is it a garden of peace or is it a garden of poisonous thorns and thistles and and snakes and stuff. So you can tell them by their fruit, is this edible or is it poisonous? Mm. Um, And if you're looking for the approval of men, you're going to end up taking on fruit that is destructive. If you're going to be the kind of person God is restoring, then your lifestyle is going to bring shalom, wholeness, peace, restoration to anybody who comes in touch with you. Um, they'll see what God has done to change and transform, and they're going to want it. Mm. And and you and I both know. You look around, you know, the families and the world. The, the, you look in the in your school community at, at the different families and the stories that come and go, and you go, I can see where God's at work. I can see the restoration, and I can see some of the choices people make and where it's going to go. And these are heartbreaking, and this is wow. So, you know, you get that the narrow gate and the wide gate. <laughs> you know, there'll be lots of people who go down the toilet. Yeah. Um, you won't be popular. You're swimming against the current of your culture and your your people. But if you go this route, God's route, God's way, um, then we rest- you restore Eden. You go back to paradise. Um, and he's not just talking about the second coming, you know, new creation. He's talking about your life right here and now. Um, and I think by their fruit, you can see where God's been at work to bring peace and wholeness. And if you've got eyes to see, that's where you want to go. So that the Sermon on the Mount finishes with the very famous story of wise man and a foolish man. <laughs> and it's got a very lovely song that goes along with it. Yeah. Uh, so... Do people still sing that song? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I believe they do. <laughs> yeah. I run kids' church at my church and we sing it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so why is he finishing with this? Like, it's, uh, you know, where you build your house or your foundations that you're using to build your house yeah. and how long it lasts. You know, why is this where he finishes? The, you've just built a house. The <laughs> longest process in building a house is the foundations. And... You, you look at, I don't know, you look at whatever you've laid down as that foundation, whatever goes above that 
you can knock down, replace, no problem. But those foundations, if they start moving, um, you're in trouble. Uh, and the contrast between a rock and, a, and sand is about as good as it gets. Here in Sydney, we've had storms and there's a whole beachside suburb where rich people built their house on the sand because they wanted to be accessible to the beach. And this this storm came through and basically ate their whole backyard. Um, and the houses are sliding into the sand and you're going, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. This, this was the place the real estate agent said to go because look at the view. And you go, yeah, there's the view going straight down the path. So that works for life. So when, when I was a young man and I looked at all the families around me that were looked like a bomb had hit them, um, you know, divorce, rape, domestic violence, adultery, you name alcoholism, it was all around the place. Uh, and and I, I looked at that and I thought, I've been born into a culture that is terribly destructive. Um, this is the 1950s. Uh, you make your own conclusions about now. But looking at that and going, I don't want my life going there. Now, that might mean I have to break with the culture of my whole family, my wider family, Um I might have to make different decisions. I might have to stand in front of parents and say, I'm going a different route to you. I still remember the day when I told my mother I was getting baptised and she burst into tears. Um, Wasn't what we did for you good enough? And I said no, (laughs) you know, and gave her a big hug. Uh, There's a reason why I want to base my life on obeying Jesus, not on whatever the culture was I was born into. Um, so to build on that foundation, then to, to read my Bible and find out what that foundation looks like. Um, so it was fascinating. I mean, you, you found the same. You walk through Israel, the, the, you know, or any country really, and when hundreds of years have gone past and thousands of years have gone past, what's left of the culture in physical culture, in archaeology? The foundations. Mm. And we're, we're walking over the foundations and using that to figure out how to rebuild what was once there. Um, those foundations last. And one of the things I discovered in the Bible, and you're discovering too, is that the decisions you make, especially the decisions you make in high school, in those years, impact your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Um, these are powerful decisions. Those foundations don't stop with one generation. Um, so Jesus is saying, go back to Torah, go back to the scriptures, get your eyes on God, your heavenly Father, look to Jesus to get to, to undo the damage and get you through. Now, you're a disciple, you're a trainee, build on that foundation. Yeah. The old um, the old Puritans had a statement which they used to say, um, improve your baptism. And what and the word improve in the old English was what we use for home improvements. Yeah. <laughs> so they're saying you've, you've made a commitment, build on that commitment. Don't go off to the side. Um, stay within that framework. So, you know, Phil Jensen turned that into two ways to live. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been a blessing to many. <laughs> well, that the sermon finishes with the, 
at the very end with the crowd being amazed at the way Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching the way that everyone else does. And I think yeah, his teaching is one with authority because he is the Son of Man who has come with authority. And I think really it's a, it's a fitting place for us to finish with, <laughs> with that. I'll hold that up. This is the Mishnah. This is how the rabbis taught. And it was all about quoting old rabbis so that your opinion had their approval. <laughs> and and it's, I mean, it's 1,100 pages of Rabbi so-and-so said this, but Rabbi so and I can quote, you know, I'm agreeing with the great ones. Yeah. And we've lost sight of God in the whole package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jesus definitely cuts through that without quoting anyone except for God. Yep. Uh, so... That, that brings us to the end of this episode and to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you would like to come and grab the study notes, please head over to trainingforliferedeem.com slash 66. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to read that. And make sure you hit the subscribe button. Come back and join us when we look at Matthew chapter 8.